0: All right. Good evening, young adults. How are you guys tonight? Fabulous? You have an OK week? Some of you had a great week? Do you eat good food this week? Do y'all eat good food this week? I've been eating some food. I've been eating some food. But those of you who don't know, um, I didn't have like 80 burritos. I'm pregnant. So um, <laughs> it might be 80 burritos, but. My goodness, that's a... Uh... That's embarrassing. So uh, so this week, uh, we have been in a series called Sweet 16. And it's because we believe that this year is going to be uh, your sweetest year yet if you would allow the Lord to work in your life in a new and in a different way. And it's something that we've prayed for you guys. It's something that I have had faith for you and that our staff has had faith for you. I have had faith for myself that God would, that it would be completely different than anything I'd ever seen before. And one of the things I did was I opened up my journal this year, and I just said, God, I give you permission to write the story this year. Like, just, I give you permission to write the pages of what you're going to do this year. And so we believe that it's going to be a sweet 16. And so what I wanted to talk to you about tonight is the fact that if it is going to be a sweet 16, if this is going to be one of the sweetest years that you experience, richest years, not just things happen, not just blessings happen, but one of the deepest, richest years that you have ever experienced, then that means that you are going to have to let go of whatever was behind you. If you are going to move forward into this year, if you are going to take hold of what God has for you this year, there is going to be something within you that lets go of anything and everything from your past. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians uh, 3. This is Paul writing. And um, he's doing a fabulous job of presenting a portion of the gospel to the Philippians. And he's talking about all of his accolades, all of the things that he's achieved, all of the different attributes of his character and of his personhood, different trophies that he has in his bookshelf. And he says, I'm, a you know, of the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and I was circumcised not on the seventh day, not on the ninth day, but on the eighth day. Like, I'm legit, right? And for those of you guys in here, you're like, why does that matter? And it did matter. And so he was a big deal because of that. And then he says, but I consider all of this trash, except for knowing Christ. I consider all of this rubbish except for knowing him and partaking in the power of the resurrection. And then he says this. He says, I haven't laid hold of it just yet, the power of the resurrection, but it's something that I want to lay a hold of. And he says, not that I have already obtained this or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, that could preach all day long. I wanna take hold of Jesus because why? Because he's taken hold of me. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Letting go of what lies behind me, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, towards the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And just so you know, if you are walking with him and you are sincere, your call and your life will always be moving upward. It's how he operates. It's who he is. And he says, but in order to do that, you have to let go. And so I titled tonight, if you're taking notes, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what's behind. All right. So let's pray. Ask God to be here. God, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for um, your presence. I thank you for the way that you've met me this week. And Jesus, um, I give you permission uh, to use this stage. I give you permission, God. I set myself aside, and I ask, God, that you would move in every single person tonight, that we would experience your face, not just your hand. God, that we would see you in a new way, that people would have revelation, God, that would change their insides. God, like Connor was saying during prayer, there's not enough self-help books out there to sustain us, Lord. God, we need you tonight to teach us how to let go of what's behind so that we can press on and take hold of what you have for us this year. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. You're our king. Amen. All right, so... Um, How how many of you struggle, like, saying goodbye to people or saying goodbye to things or saying goodbye to seasons, right? A couple of you. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, My husband, and he would gladly say this, my husband struggles to say goodbye to things. He just does. So we'll be on vacation, and we're like, it's a seven-day vacation, and it's day six, and we're, like, out on the beach, and I can tell he's, like, apprehensive, and I'm like, do you need an umbrella for your like drink like what <laughs> what's wrong and he's like, "No, I just know that tomorrow's the last day and i'm like well but but what like but we're still here, right? Or like, like at Christmas time, like we'll be hanging out and like everything's going great. And then all of a sudden it like comes the day where we take down our tree, and like he's just like slumped over, and it, we're taking down the decorations. And I'm like, Are you all right? And he's like, it just came and went so fast, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, you're right, babe. And I'm like, did I mean you like the gifts that Santa got you right? And he's like, I know, but just another year, you know, like, and I'm like, I hear you. Like it's difficult, it's difficult to say goodbye. My daughter, on the other hand, she does not struggle to say goodbye at all. At all, okay? So, you know, you do this when you're a parent. If you're not a parent, you will. But, like, when they're little and she was a baby, she's almost two now, but when she was a baby, we would, like, be like, okay, we're going to say it. Let's say our first word. And we'd be like, mama, mama. You know, and she's just like, what? And... And then we're like, da-da, da-da, you know. And finally, one day, Brooklyn said her very first word. And she looked up at both of us, and she was like, da-da. And it was like, oh my god. And we're like, hugging each other. We're like, she said your name, you know. And it's like, oh my gosh. But then, you know, there was like a side of me that was kind of like, okay now. Say mama now. (laughs) Say mama now. Say it right now. And. And she was just like, I don't know, like, I don't, you know, and so time went on, and she said, da-da, and then her very next word she learned, I swear to you, was bye bye <laughs> And so I remember looking at her, and I'd be, I'd be like, Brooklyn, hello, it's mama, it's mama, and dad would walk in the room, and she'd be like, da-da, and then she'd be like, bye bye <laughs> And I was like, I don't know take this, you know? And um, since that moment, I swear to you, the kid has not struggled to say goodbye. Like, I'll be leaving for work, and I'll be like, I know it's really hard for you, sweetheart, that your mom's going to work and leaving you. Um, And so I love you so much. You're going to have a great day with grandma, and I love you. Bye-bye. And she just goes, bye-bye. Like, (laughs) like with her toys, right? And I'm just like, it's cool. It's cool, you know? And And, or we'll be at church and it'll be like, okay, have fun in Kids Rock, bye-bye, bye-bye. Or like, you know, I'm picking her up from Kids Rock and she's like, bye-bye. Like, she does not struggle. It's almost as if she's a little heartless, you know? (laughs) she's especially great at saying goodbye when a she doesn't like you or uh, B she's like over a scenario okay and so I, the other night we're at dinner and we're hanging out with my sister and um, who she calls Tissy because her name's Chrissy. And uh, Dustin, our, her uncle, okay, and we're hanging out at dinner, and she's, like, vibing for a little while, but then she's, like, over dinner, you know? And she sets it, she eats her mac and cheese, sets her fork down, and she just looks right at my sister, and she's, like, bye-bye, tissy. <laughs> bye-bye. Like, I'm leaving, right? And I'm, like, we're not leaving just yet, sister, all right? Like, you got to sit in your chair a little longer. And, um, like, she does a struggle. And um, it's, like, she's always okay moving on to the next event. And it's like she's always at peace with transition. And it's like she doesn't have a problem saying goodbye to a season or to an event. She's all right with it. It's like she almost understands that that means that she gets to do something new. And I was thinking to myself this week, my goodness, I wish I was a little bit more like that because I struggle to say goodbye. I mean, I remember when Brooklyn grew out of her baby clothes, and 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 she was in her newborn clothes, and then all of a sudden she wasn't anymore, and and I swear to you, it was like horrific for me. I was like, I don't know how to say goodbye to this just yet. Or I remember, you know, um, there was the time maybe where our church grew from. 300 people to 1,000 people, and I knew everybody at church, and I remembered just struggling because all of a sudden I sat next to people I didn't know or I interacted with people that weren't my best friends, and and I struggled to say goodbye. Or there was the one time, you know, right before we had um, our first child, right before we had Brooklyn, and I was looking at pictures, and if you're pregnant, you shouldn't do this, but I was looking at pictures of me and John, and I was just like, man you know and i'm like reminiscing i'm like this was when we were dating and i'm like this was when we were getting engaged this is our first couple years of marriage and then i get out this little book that john gave me of all of our memories together right and i'm pulling them out one by one and 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 i just start crying because it hit me like a load of bricks that i am saying goodbye to it just being the two of us like i'm saying goodbye and i start crying and and then this is a true story and then i turned on a song from an old album that i used to love called Boys to Men. And I'm just like, looking at these pictures, and I'm just like, you know, just feeling it. And I let myself cry, let myself have a good cry, because I'm just like, you know what? It's not going to be the same anymore. You know what I mean? And like, it's never going to be the same anymore to see forever but forever's gone away <laughs> it's so hard to say goodbye you know what I mean to thanks for hearing me guys for you and for me, is it is hard logistically and realistically to say goodbye. It's hard to say goodbye to yesterday. You are fooling yourself if you think it was easy for you to say goodbye. And I think for most of us in here, for most of us in here, if I'm honest with myself and if you're honest with yourself, and maybe tonight you need to take some inventory, and the question I want to ask you is this, how's your resume when it comes to saying goodbye? Are you able to let go? Are you able to um, let what was in the past be the past? Or do you struggle a little bit? Or what's worse, do you dwell in the past? Do you simply live in your past? There's a man that we meet in scripture whom I love and whom uh, is a man of God, but who at one point in his life struggled to let go of what was. And so um, you're welcome to follow along. We're going to be in First Samuel 15 for the rest of tonight. And this is a prophet by the name of Samuel. Um, he was the last of the prophets of God before God introduced kings last of the judges, and it says this, and Samuel said to Saul... The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over the people of Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did, um, noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way as they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to the destruction all that they have. Don't spare them, but kill both man and woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. All right, so that we have a little bit of backstory here. Samuel, who's who we're going to talk about tonight. Samuel was a prophet who was put in charge of finding and anointing the very first king. And God sends him Saul, and he has this experience with Saul, where Saul is just a teenager, and they form this relationship where he anoints him and then kind of essentially becomes his spiritual father. He oversees him, he gives him wisdom, he gives him prophetic words from God. And he goes to Saul, this is years after Saul has been reigning over Israel. He's been king for a while now. He's been a pretty, for the most part, good king. And he comes to Saul and he says, now Saul, the Analects, um, when the uh, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt at their most vulnerable point, attacked the Israelites, and the Lord will have vengeance. And so if you've ever wondered how the Lord feels about his children being attacked, you need to look no further, because this is how he handles um, people who attack his children at the most vulnerable point. And he says, now Saul, I want you to go, and I want you to utterly destroy all of the Amalek's. I want you to take every single person and leave none alive. There shall be no more animals. You need to destroy all of their animals. They need to come to utter destruction. And for another time and another place, I could describe why, but they need to come to utter destruction. This is is what the Lord is decreeing to Saul. And so Saul goes, and he wages war against the Amalek's, and he does as he's told. He wages war, and um, he spares nothing, okay? They demolish everything. They destroy everyone except for a few things. They spare this man named Agag. He was the leader of the Amaleks, and then they spare fattened oxen and some fattened sheep. And the story picks up. It says this, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and lambs, and all that was good they would not utterly destroy. And all that was despised and worth, worthless, they devoted to destruction. Okay, so Saul listens to Samuel and he listens to God, kind of, okay? He does what he's told to a certain degree, and just so you understand, this is not out of mercy. Saul is not sparing Agag out of mercy, he's not sparing these animals out of mercy, he is sparing them out of a desire for himself. He wants to do what he's told by the Lord, but then keep some things a little bit on the side. And so he kind of has the spirit of almost the rich young ruler where God goes to the rich young ruler and he says, I'm going to require everything that you have. You have to give up everything. And Saul looks at God and says, well, surely not everything. I mean, can I keep a few things for myself? Which I think a lot of us can most likely relate with. The story goes on and it says this, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and this is God speaking. He says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So God explains to Samuel And and just so you understand, this has been a pattern with Saul, this like halfway obedience or halfway disobedience, however you want to describe it. This has been his pattern in his kingship from the very beginning, and God has given him second chance after second chance after second chance, and finally he goes to Samuel and he says, this is it. It's gone too far. And Samuel's job now is to go and to explain to Saul, (laughs) that he is no longer king or that he is no longer empowered and anointed by God to be king. And obviously this is difficult for Samuel, and so he goes to him and he does his job, this spiritual son of his, this person that he has a relationship with, and he goes to him and he says, okay, now Saul, here's the deal. Um, Did God not tell you he told you to go and to utterly destroy everything, did he not? And Saul looks at him and he says, well, yeah, I did everything that the Lord said. Have Have you ever talked to the Lord that way? He's like, did you do what I told you to? And you're like, oh, yeah, yep for sure with you, Jesus. (laughs) And he, and it's so great because this story is so awesome because Samuel looks at him and he goes, okay, so, and this is actually like in 1 Samuel 15, he goes, so, okay, so you destroyed everything, but here's the deal. I'm hearing some sheep bleeping and I'm hearing some oxen doing their oxen noise. (laughs) This is what he says to him. In other words, I caught you. Saul, I caught you. I know exactly where you're at, bro. I know exactly what you're doing. And Saul kind of backpedals, and then he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay, okay. You're right. We spared some stuff. We didn't utterly destroy everything. I wanted to, okay? I wanted to kill it all, Uh uh-huh. But uh, here's the deal. The Israelites... They wanted to spare Agag, and they wanted to keep some sheep, okay? They wanted to keep some oxen. And so as the leader of Israel, as the king of Israel, he blame shifts, which is another thing that we do when faced with our inadequacies. Oh, well, surely it's not my deal. Surely it has to do with somebody else. And Samuel goes, no, bro, no. You're the leader. You're the last one in charge. You're the king, and you're the one that was made to rule and to make decisions over these people. This wasn't anybody else's fault but yours. And then he backpedals one more time, and he goes, right, 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 right. <laughs> You're right, Sam. Here's the deal. Um, so I, I spared some sheep, and I spared some oxen, but it was because I wanted to sacrifice them to the Lord later. Right? <laughs> and he looks at him, and he says, my goodness, this is all. Like you don't get it, like you really, really don't get it. And he says this. And Samuel said, "Has the Lord um, as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as He does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to um, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. It is better to listen." than the fat of rams for rebellion is as a sin of divination or divination just so you guys know that's like an occultic uh, an occultish practice of like predicting the future it's super dark super scary and so he's basically saying what you're doing is super terrible Saul and I see it and presumption is iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected you this is intense language y'all from being king Sam is saying, look, Saul, it would have been better if you would have given your heart to God. He's not looking for your burnt offerings. In other words, young adults, this is what he's saying in this moment. He's saying it is better to come to the Lord with all of your heart than it is to perform for him. It is better to come to the Lord with everything that you've got and turn to him and seek him and long for him and want to be with him and commune with him and listen to him. That's better than you trying to be some cool king. He says, I don't want your burnt offerings. I want your obedience, Saul. You've missed it. And Saul is identifying a problem that I think all of us have that we struggle to surrender and we would prefer to perform. That we struggle to surrender to Jesus. And we would prefer to put on a show for him. Sam says to Saul, because of this, you have truly rejected God in your heart. And so he rejects you as king. And at this point, all hell breaks loose. Saul starts crying. You can read about it. Sam starts to leave. And he, like, grabs his robe and rips it. Like, it's just one of those scenes from a movie where, like, like nothing's going Right. And then it says this, it says, and then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to the house of Gebet of Saul. And Samuel didn't see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Then the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Okay, so we've been talking about Saul and Samuel for a little bit. But this, what I want to highlight tonight and what I think God wants to talk to us about tonight um, it has more to do with Samuel. Samuel. Because Samuel in this moment is grieved over what is happening. He is grieving over his past. He is grieving over what has been, what just transpired, what just took place. And he is struggling to let go now. He's struggling to say goodbye. And in Samuel uh, 1.15, it talks about In 1 Samuel 15, it talks about how Samuel's so grieved that he stays up all night just thinking and rotating over and over again how this all happened. And I think that you and I can relate with this. When something in our past is difficult or when when we don't understand what happened or it grieves us or we're mourning or we're upset about it or angry about it, it keeps us up at night. And we think to ourselves, how did this happen? How did this even happen? How do I make this right? How did that take place? What could I have done? How could that person do this? And We stay up. And you need to understand that for Samuel, this was deeply personal. This wasn't just him losing a king. This was him losing a friend. This was him losing a spiritual son. He had watched Saul reign and defeat the Philistines and have glory days and have um, experiences. He watched all of this and then he watched it all crumble. This is deeply personal for Saul, or for Samuel. And in essence, he's saying, How do I say goodbye to this? Samuel's struggling to let go, like I think a lot of us in here. And so. Um, maybe you struggle with, you know, uh, a past hurt, maybe for you it's a past victory, maybe for you it's just like, um, a past sorrow or something that happened, but I was reading in psychology today, and it talks about the, um, consequence of us living and dwelling in our past, and it says this, rarely, Is dwelling in the past seen in a positive light? Nor should it be. Thinking too much about times gone by typically keeps your mind and your life stuck in neutral, and maybe even shifts it in reverse. If you habitually ruminate over your earlier life, you may regularly be revisiting feelings of anger, guilt, resentment, sorrow, and shame. And such emotions are hardly productive. In many ways, they're downright toxic. Fretfully obsessing about the people and events precipitating such negative feelings can lead to endless recycling. Becoming increasingly stagnant or fixated, your thinking really can't progress forward to adaptation or to resolution. Moreover, returning to the past to rehearse old dissatisfactions and grievances, even to replay images of earlier triumphs and idly preoccupying yourself with irreconcilable thoughts about them can result in self-reproach, lamentation, remorse, and even bitterness. Using your mental energy for such doubtful purpose can catapult you into an inextricable pit of woulda, coulda, shoulda, with the result that in the end, you end up consumed with regret, what French existentialist Albert Camus referred to as the most futile of emotions. So Samuel is caught up in a moment, and he can't let go. He's mourning, and he can't let go. He's he's despairing, and he can't let go of what was with Saul. He can't let it go. And so I want to ask you again tonight, how's your resume when it comes to saying goodbye? Because psychology today says you better get good at saying goodbye. You better get better at saying goodbye because if you live back here, if you exist in the past, if you exist with what once was, it will consume you, and it will destroy you emotionally and mentally. But worse than that, it will keep you from moving forward. And it's not just psychology today that says this. It's the Lord. The Lord looks at Samuel, and he says, Samuel. And at first, he's just kind of like, he's just kind of frustrated with him. He's like, Samuel, like, what's your deal? Like, you were mourning in, you know, First, you know, First Samuel 15 at the beginning. And then you're mourning at First Samuel 15 at the end. And then you're mourning still at First Samuel 16. And in essence, he's like, bro, I know you got out your yearbook. And you're looking at pictures of you and, and Saul. And you got the tissues out. And I hear you like it's hard, but here's a tissue. Now dab yourself clean. And then he says this. He gets a little bit more firm with Samuel. And he says this. How long are you going to grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Now fill your horn with oil and go. This is what he's saying to Sam, just so you understand, because Samuel is a prophet. Samuel is the one that is going to walk out his anointing and go anoint someone else. He's saying, yo, Samuel, you need to let go because otherwise you can't fulfill your call and go. You got to let go. You have to forget it. You have to move on. Let go. How long are you going to mourn this? Fill your horn with oil and go. Fulfill your destiny. The only way that you're going to do that is by letting go. God wants us to move on and to just build my case. Here, there's a few scriptures I wanted to point out. We talked about it already, but in Philippians 3, this is Paul talking, and he says, but one thing I do. This is Paul the author that wrote most of uh, what we build our faith on. And he says, this is what I do every day. The, the um, verbiage here, he's talking about a habitual doing. One thing I do, I forget what's behind me, and I lay hold of what's ahead. Isaiah 43 says this, remember not the former things of old or consider the things of old. Behold, listen, young adults, I am doing a brand new thing. And then he says this, don't you get it? Don't you see? You can't see it because you're too busy living in your past. He goes on, Luke 9 62, Jesus says, If you want to be a part of my kingdom, if you want to build in my kingdom, Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for my kingdom. We just had a snowstorm. And I didn't really shovel, my husband did. Um, But I do shovel. And when I do, at first I'm like, this is so much fun. I'm in my snow boots. I love snow. You know, and at first I'm like, I like love it. Right. And I'm out there and I'm like, sub stuff. Like my neighbors, like pretending like I'm better than I actually am. I'm the all American. Look at me shovel my thing. You know, and so I'm out there. And then pretty soon I get lazy. Right. And I do the whole thing where I just like prop it against my belly and I'm just like, whatever. Just going to kind of scoot this thing over here. And, but if I, and this is true, like, I remember one time I was shoveling my parents' deck, and I'm just kind of like, and I'm looking around, I'm not paying attention. And I look back, and, like, legitimately, it, it like, hits a patch of ice and, like, clotheslines me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, (laughs) huh? Jesus is like, you can't put your hand to a plow, young adult, and move forward and look back, you can't do it. (laughs) I'm so stupid. You will literally clothesline yourself. You'll end up vomiting up your lunch. Like, don't do that. God, over scripture, he talks again and again and again. And he basically says, look, 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 look. In order to move forward, it's like monkey bars. You have to let go to lay hold. You have to. You might get the best hanging in there award if you stay. But you won't move forward. And so tonight, I think God wants to teach us three things he wants us to let go of. And I think he wants us um, to draw a line in the sand tonight. And the first thing is this, that God wants to teach us how to properly let go and say goodbye to past sorrows. It is hard to say goodbye to past sorrows. One thing, uh, when I'm counseling with people here at Red Rocks or at Young Adults, the thing that I counsel the most about or that I hear the most about is past hurts and past wounds from other people. And isn't it sad, you guys, that we can hurt each other the way that we do? And I'll counsel with people and they'll talk to me about the betrayal of a friend that wounded them or about a father whom they never measured up to. It did not matter what they did. It didn't matter how well they performed. It was never good enough. Girls who had been sexually abused, people people who had been rejected by boyfriends or girlfriends, and the deep emotion that comes from rejection, just so you understand why rejection hurts so bad, it is the exact opposite of the heart of the father. His heart is to love and to bring you in and to accept. And so when you feel rejection, you are feeling the opposite of your dad. And that's why it hurts the way that it does. And I'll talk to these people, and here's the deal. I don't need to describe to any of you in here what it feels like to have heartbreak. I don't need to lecture you. You know and Samuel is feeling heartbreak in this moment. What we need to understand is that this was essentially his spiritual son. His actual sons were not great, and they um, they weren't. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and because of that, his relationship with them was strained. And so part of me wonders if you looked at Saul and was like, maybe you could be kind of more of that and play like a surrogate role in my life where you're my son and I'm like your dad and I'm going to pour into you and I'm going to spiritually, you know, give you what I got. In this moment, he isn't just losing Saul as a king. He's losing like this relationship. You got to think at this moment, he probably doesn't just feel like it's Saul's like thing and that he's going down in flames. He probably feels a little bit betrayed. And here's the deal. If you are hanging on to past sorrows, they will keep you from moving forward. Jesus tells a parable about this idea of letting someone go. And he tells a parable like this. He says, it's like a man who is indebted to a king. And this man comes and his debts are weighty. They weigh more than his life. They weigh more than anything he could ever pay back. And he goes to the king to beg for his life and to beg for a forgiveness of his debts. And the king says, I pardon you. I pardon you and I forgive you completely. All of your debts shall be paid by me. You owe me nothing. Listen to that. You owe me nothing. And so, the servant goes away, and he says, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, king. Thank you. And he runs away, and immediately he goes to a man who owes him money. And he goes, yo, bro, I'm debt-free now, and I'd like some money, so I need you to pay me. And the guy looks at him, and he's like, I can't, I can't pay you. I, I'm so sorry. And he's like, well, you will pay me back every cent you owe me. I will make sure that you pay for everything that you owe me. The king hears about it, and he brings the servant up to his palace, and he said, I forgave you all of your debts. Did you really just hold him accountable for everything that he did to you? Yes, sir, I did. Awesome. And then he throws, the king throws this man in jail. And what Jesus is trying to illustrate is that when you do not forgive someone because you think that you want to wait for them to pay you back that you want to wait until they can make up for what they have done to you what you are essentially doing is locking yourself in a self-imposed prison where you hold the key chris kane puts it this way she says bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness is essentially like drinking poison and expecting it to kill someone else your enemy And God's like, you have got to let go. And let me tell you something the Lord showed me a few years ago. He said, look, 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 Jesse. Jesse, that person can never pay you back. They hurt you too much. He said, but Jesse, and this is our king. He said, Jesse, I'll pay for what that person did. I'll make it up to you, Jess. I'll carry the burden and the weight and the curse of what they did to you. Because that person is a human. They can never make it up to you. But Jesus on a cross did. He didn't just pay for your sin. He paid for their sin. Need to let go tonight of some sorrows. Number two, I think it's hard to say goodbye to past glories. If it's hard to say goodbye to past sorrows, it might be harder to say goodbye to past glories, right? I mean, in this moment, Samuel, he isn't, just, um, he isn't just mourning the fact that Saul has done wrong and that there is sin involved and that, there's this, that it's just icky and it's all coming to ruin. He's mourning the fact that Saul was really great for a while that there was like a king that ruled and reigned and that he was noble and everybody said he was handsome and he was like a good warrior and he took down the Philistines. Like there were things about him that were glory filled. And the Israelites struggled with this all of the time. They would look back and they would look, they would look back on what had happened before and they would say, look at that, wasn't that fabulous? Can we just go back to that? When they're brought out of Egypt, God miraculously parts the seas, right? And it's literally, they're not in the wilderness five minutes, and they're like, remember when we had awesome food back in Egypt? This manna is not as great, but remember when we had this food, it was so great. And God's like, oh my goodness. Or they get just outside the perimeter of the promised land, the land that God is going to give them, which is metaphorical for your promised land for your promise for what God has given you and they're sitting on the outskirts of it and they're like remember when God parted the sea a couple decades ago and we walked through it those were the good old days and you and I do this. remember in high school when I was like big man on campus and everybody knew my name remember remember those sorority and like, those were my those were my wonder years, you know. Like, <laughs> remember um, remember the mission trip, and we saw God move in a completely encased bubble of Christian activity. <laughs> and I lived biblically for a year. It's impossible to live biblically in America. Remember that time when me and the Lord were so close, and I was on like a honeymoon phase with him, and I could sense him, and I could see him, and I knew him. Those were the good old days. Uncle Rico syndrome is what I call it. (laughs) Where we keep looking back at our past glories. There was a time in college when God really moved in my life, and um, he called me to ministry. I heard him almost audibly, if not audibly, one day. And after that, it was this period where he gave me fruit, and and I led Bible studies, and I kept getting promoted into leadership positions, and everything I touched seemed to turn gold. Like, it was just one of those seasons that was beautiful. I watched God produce fruit through my life. It was intoxicating. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was called to ministry, and it was wonderful. And then God took me out of that environment, and he placed me in a restaurant, where I waited tables for three years. And if I'm just being honest with you, there were times where I looked around and I was like, okay, okay, that was way better. Can we have something back, Jesus, where where you use me and where I feel productive and I feel like I'm contributing? God, can we do something like that? And I really did, in in my heart, I knew I couldn't go back, but part of me really wanted to go back or experience something like that again. Maybe not in college, but something similar just now, right? And you need to understand this if you don't know this tonight. You can never go back. (laughs) You can never go back. God never wants to do what he has done before. Isaiah talks about this. God is always about what is new, what is different, what is bright, what is full of life, because what's back there is old. It can never be, again, Isaiah says this, remember not the things of former things. Consider not the things of old. Behold, look at, look at, he's doing a new thing. It springs forth, and then he says this, and don't you see it? You can't see it because you're too busy, like, oh, oh man, my girlfriend was really great back then. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's something out here just waiting for you. And I love this because God is looking at Samuel and he looks at him and he's like, bro, you got to let go. You got to move forward. You got to keep going. And at the time, I promise you, Samuel didn't understand. But here's what he was going to. He said, I need you to fill your horn of oil. And I need you to go forth in your anointing and go anoint the next king. Do you know where he was heading? To David's house. What was waiting for him was so much better than what he was leaving behind. Don't get caught in your glory days. The last thing, and Ben, you guys can come back out here. It's hard to say goodbye. To past disgraces. It's hard to say goodbye to past disgraces. And um, I'm going to need Jesus' help for this last part. For some of us, we struggle with past hurt. For some of us, we struggle with past glories. But I bet for a lot of us in here, we struggle with past failures, past decisions, past sin. We struggle to let go of the things that we never really wanted to do in the first place, but we did. And some of you walked in here tonight, and you know that you know that you know that you're supposed to let go of jealousy and forgive yourself, but it just keeps coming up. You know that you're supposed to live your life in purity, but it keeps coming back, and you can't fight it. You don't know what to do. You understand what the Lord says when he says, you know, um, To pursue good things and to pursue righteousness, but it just isn't working for you. And then Satan keeps reminding you. Like, you remember your weekend in Vegas? Because God does. You remember that decision? It was three years ago, but man, that was a rough one, right? You really, you really messed it up that time. And you walk in here and you high-five your friends and you raise your hands in worship, but let's be honest, you're not free. (laughs) And the weight of condemnation is burying you tonight. It is just digging a grave as you live. And God says, I want you to let go. I'm gonna teach you how to move forward out of your past disgraces the haunting thing about saul's story at least for me is that his sin eventually did get the better of him his sin got to a point where god says that's enough i've had enough of you and he removes his anointing from saul and saul's life is never the same he doesn't have the hope he doesn't have the future. He has a tormented life after that. And I read that this week and I was like, oh Lord, my goodness. But then God reminded me, he said, "Jess, you know what? Here's the thing that Saul never did. He was given chance after chance after chance after chance and he never just returned to me. He never just came home. He never just returned. He tried to perform for me. He tried to sacrifice for me. He tried to be a better king for me, and he couldn't be because he wouldn't come home. And my Holy Spirit's the only thing that can make him the king that he needed to be. He wouldn't come home. How many of you tonight are coming home because you're so afraid of what he's going to do to your sin? And God's like, if you just come home. You know, I used to think repentance was turning from your sin and then turning to God. That's what I thought it was. I knew it was a 180, and so I thought, okay, it's return. And, and I learned this week, I was listening to a preacher, and he said, no. He said, repentance isn't turning from your sin and turning to God. Repentance is just turning to God. That's it. Because guess what? You can't deal with your sin, young adult. You don't have it in you. You don't have enough. You can't bring enough to the table. You aren't enough. So you turn to him and he deals with your sin. I was thinking this week about the woman, the adulteress that was caught in adultery, caught in the act, if you could imagine. And she is thrown before people. And this is what sin wants to do to you. It wants to throw you on the ground. then it wants you to stay there and so before all of these people she's thrown on the ground and and you know the exchange Jesus says, okay the first one to have uh, it's lived a sin-free life y'all go ahead and throw a stone and none of them do and then he looks at her and listen to this young adult listen to this he looks at her and he says hey daughter he says do any of these people condemn you and she says no sir And he says, then neither do I. The only person who is able to legally condemn her says, no, neither do I, daughter. I don't condemn you. In fact, he says this, now get up. I think tonight what God wants to say to a whole bunch of us in here is maybe you have sinned, maybe you have made mistakes, maybe you have um, made some poor, 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 poor decisions. But God says sin has thrown you on the ground and it wants you to stay there and so does the devil and so do a bunch of church people standing around you. They want you to stay down but God says I don't condemn you, get up, get up, get up, get up out of your sin and go and he says go and sin no more you don't have to and if you're wondering how or why or in what legal right she has to get up it is because of what Jesus did on the cross for her that's how she's able to get up legally before heaven you have every right to stand up in the middle of your sin and move forward out of it Why? Because he paid for it. The Bible says that Jesus, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. While we were still sinners, meaning while you were in the middle of it, he died for you. That while you were still thinking about it, he died for you that his grace is sufficient and the Bible says this it says if the cross was not enough then here's the deal Jesus would have to be crucified again now does anybody in here believe that Jesus needs to be crucified again I don't think so his sacrifice was sufficient and what he gave us was imputed righteousness not a righteousness of your own not a righteousness of my own but of his own John 10, 29 says that um, once a person is put in the Father's hand, nothing can snatch it out of his hand. You were placed in his hand tonight, and he wants you to understand you need to get up. This is about your second chance. You need to let go of what's behind you, and you need to lay hold of what's ahead of you. And so, tonight, as an act of just faith, no matter what you're letting go of tonight, if it's past hurts, sorrows past glorious past sin would you just stand and between you and jesus go ahead and stand that's everybody and just take a little step forward and step away from what's behind and step in to what god has before you Paul writes this, not that I have already obtained it. And you know what he's talking about? He's talking about a life in Christ. He's talking about the empowerment of the resurrection. He's talking about the sufficiency of the cross. He's talking about the glory of Jesus. He's not talking about ministry. He's not talking about you having some cool calling someday. He is talking about Jesus and Jesus himself and being found in him and knowing the power of his resurrection. And he says this, I have not obtained this yet and I am not already perfect, but I press on to make him my own because Jesus has made me his own. And brothers, I do not have considered yet to have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press ahead towards the goal and the prize of the upward call of Christ. And with every head bowed in here, I just have one question. If you are in here tonight and you don't know Jesus, here's the deal. You can't do this life without him. You just can't. And you know it and I know it and here's the great thing is that he looks at you the way he looks at the adulteress and he says get up I love you no one everybody in here actually can condemn you (laughs) and it doesn't matter because I don't you're my daughter you're my son I forgive you I have a hope and a future for you but you have to begin with him It's the only way, and so if you're in here tonight and you don't know this Jesus, I just want to kindly invite you to know him. He's the one that saves you, and then he's the one that empowers you to live a life of righteousness. And so if you're in here tonight and you want to receive him for the first time, um, just go ahead and put your hand way up high in the air, way up high right now, amen, 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 amen. And tonight um, we have communion set out for you. Um, And as you come forward, Whatever it is that you need to let go of, let go of and leave it at the cross. Leave it at his body and at his blood. I'm going to pray for everybody that God saved. God, thank you so much for your salvation. I thank you that your cross is sufficient for me. I pray that tonight that as we take communion, you would radically meet people um, with your Holy Spirit. I pray that um, the people that God saved tonight, God, that they would experience you. Sweet Jesus, I love you. And Jesus, you're better. You're better than anything in this world. And I just pray that tonight that people experience you, not a calling, not a future, not a hope, but that they find themselves in the power of your resurrection, that they get caught up in the heavenlies as they worship you, Jesus, it's only by your cross that we're here. We want to glorify you tonight. I thank you so much for every single person. Bless them. They're your kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.